This is Amplify, a podcast for people that want to crush life by learning from the minds of high performers. So take a deep breath in and get ready to become more, live more, and give more. Welcome you to the Amplify podcast. It's a podcast for high performance living and your bio has blown my mind. I, I need this because there is so much quality. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read some of it and welcome you on and then we're going to rock and roll. All, all good to me. I'm ready. Okay. If you are listening to this, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is Peter Sage. He is one of the most freaking uh, uh, incredible entrepreneurs I've ever come across. And what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be talking into um, how to move beyond toxic people and toxic environments. But I don't think it's doing this man justice because this, this human being was named one of the greatest leaders and entrepreneurs alongside, check out these people, Sir Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg. He um, awarded the Distinguished Brand Laureate Award, I don't know, but listen to this, uh, from the Asian Pacific Brands Foundation for Extraordinary Individuals. Are you ready for this? Alongside past winners of Nelson Mandela, Steve Jobs, and Tiger Woods, okay, and Hillary Clinton. So I'll keep going. He's a he's 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 an honorary black belt. What martial arts is that, Peter? Uh, karate. Honorary black belt in karate. He's climbed some of the highest peaks on earth. He is an ex bodybuilder. He's a current indoor rowing uh, indoor rower at the highest the champion British championship level. He's a marksman. He's a bloody skydiver. Is there anything, sir, that you do not do? <laughs> well, I, I love the introduction. It's sometimes yeah, interesting to reflect on the bio because yeah, I've, I guess I've not wasted a lot of my spare time. But <laughs> one of the things that I love to remind people, John, is that yeah, I am still just a guy. You know, I don't have superpowers. Uh, and a lot of the time we, when we edify people, or we put them on a pedestal, we tend to minimize our own greatness by default. Uh, and that goes against everything that I teach. Uh, there's, uh, there's nothing, I've got the same two arms, two legs as everybody else. Yeah, I dropped out of school at 16. I'm not academically gifted, uh, but I have a, a very unique way of being able to embrace, look and, and work with life that I find people that haven't had access or haven't been fortunate enough to have access to some of the insights I've had in 30 years of personal growth, uh, where I'm standing on the shoulders of some of the giants that I've been fortunate enough and blessed enough to work with, then yeah, it's just simply a case of shifting strategies and everything can change for somebody. And I'm, I'm proof of that. If a, you know, if a young kid from a, a low background, born on a council estate in low cost housing to average parents that you know, wasn't gifted can do whatever you think I can do, you can do it too. And that's the best message to take out of that bio. So, so I know we're diving into in to- toxic people environments, but let's dive into this quickly because so the, like you said, people all start wh- where they start and you've been blessed and, and gifted. And you said the key thing that needs to change is the strategy. What do you mean by the strategy needs to shift? In other words, it's not about luck. It's not about being born in the right place at the right time with the right parents, the right access to capital. There's enough examples of people in history that would blow that out of the water that started with you know so far behind the eight ball uh, and ended up winning the game so it's it's not about your background your access to capital yeah, your peer group you're going to the right school none of that's all bs now i'm not saying there are not advantages but yeah uh, you see a lot of people that have those advantages but never get the bat off their shoulder and take a swing at life mm-hmm. and you see people who start against all of the odds and go produce magic for the rest of us to go wow and so I was, I was fascinated as, as a young man. You know, I got into personal growth at 17, and it was really driven by the question, you know, why is it that so many people fall short of their potential? You know, why is it that so many people, again, that have zero access to resources that the rest of us take for granted, go and knock it out of the park? And you know, what, what is the difference? And it's all down to how you use your mind. That's it. There's no special source secret ingredient and strategies on thinking will outperform strategies on doing every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and if someone is just listening right now and they're like, oh my God, I want a bit of this. What's like the first thing? Cause you're like, get, pretty much you're saying 
it, it's mindset. Where do you start? Apart from reading your book, which we're going to give people for free. Thank you very much. If you are watching or listening, um, we're going to, Pete's, Peter's been um, amazing enough to, to give us, uh, he, he wants everyone to have his book for free. You've just got to pay shipping. There is a link with this video. Um, so aside from that, Peter, where, where would, where would pe someone start? Well, let me, let me frame it uh, in some context for people to, to give them a, an idea of how to get their arms around something that's predominantly intangible when it comes to understanding self. And I believe that, you know, biological maturity is not a choice. You know, we don't get to vote on whether we age. That's part of the physical rule set. You know, we, we understand the physical world exceptionally well. You know, we've reverse engineered our three predominant sciences which govern physical matter reality. You know, physics, chemistry, biology, physics dealing with particles, chemistry dealing with molecules, biology dealing with cells. And we've mastered those rule sets to the extent where we can put somebody in orbit or we can repair the human body. But that deals with the physical. The non-physical, there's a lot of conjecture around. So while physical maturity is built into the rule set, and I don't care how many creams you buy or how many vitamins you take, at some point, uh, your body's going to look a little different to what it is now. Yeah, when, when you're 105, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, it's, you're not going to look 25. But emotional maturity is not yeah, built into the rule set. That is a choice. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we all know a lot of emotional teenagers that are running around in very adult bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Looking at that, what are the predominant steps along the journey of emotional maturity that allow us to really rise above the inherent limitations of the human personality? And there's, there's three real key steps that I, I'd love to share and we can explore and drill down on. But the first one, as far as I can see, is the, the day we become, finally become okay not being liked. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge one for so many people because we are, by and large, a society, from what I can see, running around still in adulthood looking for somewhere to reattach our umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. uh, we are craving connection, validation, approval, uh, all of that stuff, yeah, acceptance. And we're running around swimming in this nasty, sticky substance that... Uh, will really be a, a poor, lousy addition to anybody's potential. And I call it GOOP, G-O-O-P, the good opinion of other people. And so many people spend their lives swimming in GOOP. And if you can get to a point where you're finally okay not being liked because you realize most people don't even love themselves enough, let alone, haven't even learned how to do that, let alone be able to try to love other people. It's a projection from their own level of insecurities to be able to project out rather than take a look in the mirror. So that's really the first step. And it's, it's quite easy to get out of goop when you really understand you know, what it really is, which is a complete illusion. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a metaphor that I think people here will find very useful. See, I believe, John, that we all star in a movie called The Movie of Our Life. And I'm, I'm pretty certain of that because we're the only people that act in every single scene of the movie of our life. So we're pretty much the star. Now, what that means is by very definition, every single other person in our movie is one of two particular roles. Either A, at best, they're a supporting cast, maybe a spouse, you know, boss, you know, best friend, sibling, what have you. But 99.9% .9 of people in our movie are nothing more than film extras in our movie. Now, the definition of a film extra is really somebody you don't ever think about if they're not in the scene of your movie. <laughs> and so if you look at that, there's an inherent problem. And the problem is this, is that because we star as the star of our movie, we automatically think that everybody else sees us as the star of our movie. But of course they don't because they're starring in a different movie, right? They're starring in their own movie, which means by definition, we play one of two roles in their movie, either at best supporting cast, but the vast majority of people who we're trying to influence, that we are trying to get approval from or connection or validation or all of the usual suspects, we're nothing more than a film extra in their movie. Mm -hmm. Now, to sum that up, and it's a hard truth, but it'll allow you to jump on that first level of emotional maturity. 
and I would encourage people to tattoo this on the inside of their eyelids. The reality, my friends, is that most people don't care enough about you to bother to give an opinion. Why? Because they're too busy being worried about what they think you're thinking of them. 100%. That is a, that, that is a knowledge bomb. And I think you summed it up. Put it on the back of your eyelids. In, ingrain it in your neurology somehow because, like you said, that's one of the key steps to moving forward in life. That's wisdom. Thank you so much, Peter. Hey, you're welcome. It's like everybody's walking around being worried about what everybody else thinks, not realizing that everybody else is worrying, walking around, you know, worried about what they think everybody else thinks. Yeah. And yeah, the second you think you yeah, need to wear certain clothes to create a certain image if you go out, or uh, oh, I don't want to go to the shops without putting on makeup, or yeah, whatever it may be, you are falling under the category of goop. And the antithesis of that, on the other side of that, is social freedom. And when you have social freedom, you can step up to a place that very few people get, but everybody craves. And that is authenticity. Because mm -hmm. if you're worried about what you think other people are thinking, you can't express yourself from a place of authenticity. And then the paradox is this. The second you let go of all of that BS and you show up as who you are, you attract more people that like you, respect you, want to do business with you because you have what they're looking for. Yeah. And so it's, it's a paradox. Yeah, it's, it's like as a speaker, if I go out on stage looking to get a standing ovation, I am always filtering through, oh, am I good enough? Does the audience like me? Um, you know, I better not say this in case I offend somebody. When you let go of all that, you say, you know something? I don't care if they know my name. I just want to go out and serve these people at the highest level. And if that means that they're not ready to hear what I want to hear, but I think they have to, I'm doing it. The paradox is you'll probably get more standing ovations because people will relate to that level of authenticity. That's it. And I always talk about the chicken and the egg. I'm like, the other, usually in life, what you find is the thing you think comes first actually comes second. So like you said, if you want that standing ovation, which, you know, whatever, it would, it would be great. It's, it's like you said, it's a paradox. It actually comes second to you not wanting it. Not, not wanting it, it but not osmosis. going actively chasing it. That's right. You, you get it by osmosis, right? This, I'm a great believer that the, the genesis of true power, John, is the moment you realize you don't need it. And from that place, you can show up. Because like, you know, I don't care if, you know, as I said, they know my name, I don't need a standing ovation. I'm here to serve, I'm here to add value. I'm here to try to change these people's lives. And as a speaker, if I get on stage in front of an audience of like five, 10,000 people, then yeah, the, the humility aspect of that is, is this. And it's a, it's a great technique that I learned from a, a beautiful guy called Doug, great speaker many years ago. He called it the law of 50. And he said that some people, you know, many people have to hear something 50 different times before, you know, we call it the penny drops. I call it from going from an intellectual level of understanding, which kind of means nothing, yeah, to an emotional level of understanding. It's like, oh, now I get it. And we've all had that experience. But if it takes 50 times, my job on stage is not to change people's lives. It's to move everybody up one. If I can get somebody from 13 to 14, if I can get somebody from 36 to 37, and there's a few people in that huge audience well, I'm blessed to move them from 49 to 50 and I get to change their life. It's because of the 49 incredible people that went before me that sowed the seeds. Mm -hmm. And when I come from that perspective, it takes me out of the equation because now it's not about trying to be good enough. Now it's not about trying to get, you know, live the good opinion of other people. I don't care about the other opinion of other people. Uh, most people are too busy to say worrying about what other people are thinking of them to care about giving me their approval. You know, my job is to show up. And so the first step of emotional maturity is where you finally become okay not being liked. And it, it allows you to unhook from what I call OPD, which if you go to most social media platforms, and I we're live on Facebook here, Facebook is you know, almost famous for OPD, other people's drama. Right? You, you, you contrast you know, throwing something controversial in a, in a chat on, uh, on a post on Facebook and see everybody's, you know, vitriol that comes in and all of the energy that's wasted there, you know, go put the same post on LinkedIn and see the civility of it and, uh, and how you know, people have a different level of conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but getting drawn into you know, other people's drama will suck you dry of your potential, waste most of the effort that you're trying to put in to create the life you say you want, and it just really doesn't have a place when it comes to emotional maturity. So you know, being okay not being liked, but being not, not from a place of not caring, that's, mm -hmm. that's different from a place of being independent of the good opinion of others is 
predominantly the starting point as the first step on, I would call it a three-step staircase that hopefully I can share with your audience to, to, to really give them some direction to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's number one. And I love the metaphor of, you know, the story of your life. People are really going to be able to understand that. What's, what's the second level? The second level on yeah, the, the wake up to reality of the journey of emotional maturity is the day you recognize the truth that life is not a comfort centric experience. It is a growth centric experience. And so many people have been conditioned in 20th or late 20th and 21st century reality to buy into the illusion that life is a comfort-centric experience. Most of our commercial agendas globally are geared towards trying to make your life more comfortable if you buy my XYZ. Yeah, most people are looking at life through the lens of how do I protect myself, be more comfortable, get to a certain level. It's a very Darwinian survival of the fittest mentality. And if you go to Einstein, yeah, pretty smart guy, never met him, but yeah, knew a few things apparently. But he said that one of the most powerful questions a person could ask in their lifetime is, do I live in a friendly or hostile universe? And if you look at that dichotomy, you realize that if I live in a hostile universe, by definition, I'm looking at life through a fear-based lens. Everything is separate. Everything with teeth can eat me, kind of like Australia, right? And yeah, it's like I'm, I'm trying to protect myself at all times. I'm filtering through self versus other. Mm -hmm. If I look at life through the lens of I live in a benevolent or friendly universe, I have a very different relationship to life. Mm -hmm. If I realize that I'm in a growth-centric experience, I see my challenges from a different place. I'll give you an example. See, if you didn't know you were an athlete, and you were put into this gym three, four times a week, and you got this yeah, guy called a personal trainer, this girl called a personal trainer that kept making you do press-ups and yeah, till your arms are sore and run on the treadmill until you threw up, and you'd have a very different relation. You'd have an aversion to that experience. Yeah, you'd see the personal trainer, you'd be hiding behind the treadmill, right? You'd be just lifting enough weight to tick the box to say you did the set. But if you know you're an athlete, and you're focused on getting the gold medal, you have a very different relationship. Now, if you're not throwing up in 30 minutes, you want your money back, right? You see it from a, a different way. You take it on. You don't try to avoid the challenges in the gym. But so many people look at life from the perspective of the muscle fiber. Now, it's like you're on that last burning rep, and the muscle fiber, we know what it's doing. It's sending messages to the brain. Stop. What the hell are you doing? Ah, this is painful. You're breaking me down. I'm being destroyed here. Come on, quit. What are you doing? But if you take the mentality of the athlete, you're proud that you busted out that last killer rep and can't lift your arms for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, it's a different perspective. And if you're living life from a comfort-centric experience under the illusion that we're here to be comfortable, not grow, then I got news for you. Life is going to continue to give you the feedback that's going to make it a painful workout. Mm -hmm. And so when we see the challenges in our life as opportunities to grow, because that's why we're here, then you have a, a different level of understanding, especially in like the global climate right now. You know, when you see life as a, you know, as a schoolhouse, you know, I believe that we're in earth school. Now, people say, oh, but you know, I want to be happy. I'll give you a quick bonus here on, on the secret to be happy. If you want the secret to be happy, I'll give you it in a heartbeat. Yeah, no extra charge. Think happy thoughts. Yeah, case closed. Move on. All right. Feeling happy is nothing more than a byproduct or a consequence of thinking happy thoughts. The challenge here, John, is that most people have got a rule set, an internal rule set, that controls their own permission to feel or think happy thoughts. Mm -hmm. But, oh, because they're playing a game, and this comes under the, you know, the second part of emotional maturity, they're playing a game that, by definition, limits your ability to show up and squeeze the juice out of life because they're playing a game called feel great when. Mm -hmm. I feel great when I get a million bucks, when I meet the person of my dreams, when yeah, my boss gives me a pay rise, when I drive the car I want, when fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Yeah. That is a fool's game. Yeah, it never ends. You know, I used to play that. You know, when I make my first million, then I'll be happy. Guess what? Make my first million, early 20s, and I'm like, damn, I'm still not happy. Oh, I know. I must need two million now in case I lose the first. Then I'll be happy. 
Yeah, when I bought my first Ferrari, I'm like, oh, now then I'll be happy. Guess what? Wasn't. I was for three weeks, and then it's like, oh, you know, what's next? There's a massive difference, a huge difference, especially in the entrepreneurial community, but globally as well, of a life spent chasing success versus a life chasing fulfillment. Do you think, just quickly while we're on it, do you think though, do you think that is a paradox within itself? And you, you know, you can't really have one without the other. Do you think you can have fulfillment without success? Absolutely. Because uh, well, based on your definition of success, how most people define success is yeah, through the, the flawed equation that essentially says that my net worth is equal to my self-worth. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to balance the books of life through that equation, you are never going to be happy, case closed. Because... If you want to see an area where people will compromise their values or get triggered, it's around the area of money because they're operating from the paradigm of yeah, my self-worth is equal to my net worth. And therefore, if my net worth is threatened, it triggers the primary fear that we have as human beings, which is the fear that we're not enough. Yeah, ultimately, you know, not good enough, not good looking enough, tall enough, short enough, whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah, old enough, young enough. Yeah, if you don't have a blank to fill in, it's because your ego is playing hide and seek with reality. So when it comes to yeah, I, yeah, the fear that I'm not enough, it links almost immediately underneath that to the fear that I won't be loved. Mm-hmm. And so if we are playing the game of feel great when, we're coming from unfulfillment automatically and setting the game. I mean, I've, I've worked with people that are worth $700 million that are miserable as hell because they're not a billionaire. It never ends. It is a tunnel with no cheese. Whereas if you're playing a different game, the only game in town is feel great now. And when you understand that what we're really after ultimately with the car, the bank balance, the dream partner, the dream body, whatever it is, what we're ultimately after isn't that. It's a feeling that we think that will give us. That's the reality. Nobody can argue that. But there isn't a feeling on this planet that you've not already experienced. You go to the dictionary and try and find an emotion that you've not experienced yet at some point in your life. So you have the potential. What you're doing is you're setting up the rule set that says, when this happens, I will give myself permission to feel something I could already feel now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The trick is this, and here's the paradox. If you give yourself permission to feel it now, you're free of the guilt, duty, and obligation that you put on yourself to go after it, now you can go enjoy the ride. Now you can go win-lose the game. Go give your gifts to the world. Go swing the bat. But you're not validating yourself by the scorecard. Yeah, because you know, you're playing, you get to the end of the game trying to say, oh, I want to be the richest person in the graveyard. And you're playing the accumulation game, the self-validation game. And you get to the end of the game in the final scene of our movie only to realize nobody else was playing that game. Mm-hmm. It's the wrong scorecard. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, how you feel now is everything. Feel great now in spite of. Feel great now even though. Feel great now because I can. And that takes a muscle to build on that journey of emotional maturity. It does. And that conversation in itself could be a whole nother interview. Um, I mean, that's, that's what Abraham Hicks, Esther Hicks, has based her whole life around, right? Feel good now. Feel the vibration now. And it will come. It comes after. Yeah, well, I, I could get into a, a deep level of, of understanding on law of attraction uh, and how it reflects at a, a level of cellular biology. But I think that, that would be a rabbit hole that yeah, we could probably do podcast two on, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, you know, on that. I would love that. nobody's really teaching that. Uh, but when it comes, and, and again, you'll see, you, know, you see several books behind me. In fact, the one behind my book, The Inside Track, Neville Goddard, you know, one of the great mystics of, of our time. Yeah, he phrased it in a beautiful way. He said, it's about adopting the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Mm-hmm. See, so many people are running after something saying, I'll feel great when, rather than say, well, you know, rather than play that, if I'm feeling great now, I have far more ability to attract what it is So, in order to restore the balance because I'm out of harmony. If I'm, if I'm living as if right now and I'm feeling that congruently with my heart and mind united, which gives a strong broadcast signal into the quantum field, then at that point, Whatever's out there has to find me. It's just part of the rule set. And so if I'm putting out, which is why desire calibrates you on the map of consciousness at 125, 
right? It's a low level. Why? Because the act of desire presupposes that I'm not good enough until. Yeah. Uh, there's something that I want that I don't give myself permission to feel until I get it, which is why it self-perpetuates. But it's not right or wrong. It's desire is the starting point and a, out of victimhood into achieverhood, which is part of the journey. Yeah. Now, what, what, what's better, a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old? Neither, just one's further along in its own journey of potential. And anger and frustration actually comes after desire because usually you get frustrated or angry when you can't get the thing that you want. Correct. And again, there's categories. You know, people think, oh, anger's a bad thing. Well, no, a anger is the energy that fuels you out of apathy. It's the, it fuels you into change. Mm -hmm. Now, it can be destructive or it can be constructive. Anger has been the driving force behind a lot of the revolutions of human society that have said enough is enough of suppression mm -hmm. or apartheid yeah, or yeah, civil right violations or whatever it is. So anger can be that sort of boiling kettle that finally allows the steam to turn the turbine of human evolution into the next level. But if you're expressing it in the form of yeah, an egocentric mentality, which says I'm angry, so therefore I'm going to take from you because... I want rather than what's for the greater good, then we have a different conversation to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always talk about the shadow side of emotions. Every, every feeling has a shadow. It has a light side and a dark side. Um, and it sounds like, yeah, well, it could be the, the, the egocentric side, like you said. And so that, that's, we've done, we've done two, two levels, which the second one, just to confirm for everybody that's with us is it's the, the, the comfort versus growth, Correct. When, when you wake up to the reality that life is a growth-centric experience, not a comfort-centric experience. So to summarize that, would you say if people are like seeking comfort, maybe start to shift to maybe it's the discomfort I need. Maybe that's what I need to be, to be, to be sitting in more often. If you only knew what a comfort zone was, you'd only be too keen to jump out of it because it's so inconsistent with our own potential. And if you're seeking uh, comfort life is going to give you feedback because the two laws of nature now I don't make this up don't look out of your window the two laws of nature are growth and contribution everything in nature grows and contributes or it's taken out of the food chain mm -hmm. see the strongest winds uh, sorry the strongest trees don't grow in the best soil they grow in the strongest winds so if you really want to become the person you were born to become start praying for some strong winds which a lot of people have had recently and yeah don't bitch about them when they show up because yeah, it's there like your personal trainer in life. If you think life is comfort-centric, you'll see it from a benevolent place. You'll thank your personal trainer for you know, making you throw up in 30 minutes. Yeah? You'll, you'll feel proud of your ability to take on challenges rather than run from them. Mm -hmm. And that is just a way that, say, life will continue to give you feedback if you don't adopt that as an aspect of reality. And the feedback won't be that great. Cool. I love this. What's number three? The third most critical step on the journey of emotional maturity, in my experience, John, is where you realize that the outer world follows the inner world, not the other way around. When you realize that uh, the outer world is essentially, uh, let's, let's go in movie terms, right? the scene of your current movie that you're currently in, is almost ancillary to you writing the script of the movie. And most people are so busy trying to change what's on set, which in all fairness, and again, if you look at the, the biology of it, you're trying to change ancient history. Everything in your outer world, even through the sensory position, and you take the, the speed of light, uh, everything that you perceive that comes into your world through the, in the external world has to pass through one of the five physical senses. You know, taste, touch, sight, sound, smell. We know that. Yeah, so even light that travels 186,282.4 miles per second hits the optic nerve, slows down to 250 miles an hour, goes into the brain processing center, and we perceive what is outside in our reality. That takes a ten thousandth of a second to happen, which means that everything we see in our external world is ancient history anyway. It's already happened. So we're trying to change history rather than create the next scene. And one of the most quoted phrases I have on the internet is that 
Complaining about your current circumstances is the glue that keeps you tied to them. Mm-hmm. And so rather than try to change what's out there, start creating the following scenes rather than you know, trying to complain at the current scene you're in. So your outer world follows your inner world. Let's put it in money terms because that's usually a hot topic for a lot of people. Right? Most people don't understand money. Most people have a dysfunctional relationship to money. Uh, largely fueled by thinking life's a comfort-centric experience. But when it comes to understanding money in, in a short order, if we go back X number of years prior to, let's call it the invention of money, we if you wanted goats and I wanted chickens, yeah, and you had chickens and I had goats, baby, we're in business. But yeah, if I wanted goats and you didn't have goats, right, or you wanted... Yeah, uh, chickens and I didn't want goats, eh, then we've got a problem. So money was essentially created as a, a way to level the playing field as a medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. But it's used as a, a way to measure perceived value. Now, the only place, ironically, in the universe that money means anything is in the mind of a human being. Nothing else cares or keeps track of it. So everything else, it's pieces of paper with dead people on it. It's, you know shiny metal or hard rocks. Whereas what we do as human beings, the first mistake we make is we conceptualize it into a thing. Now, once we think money is a thing, because we've made it paper, rocks, or metal, we will go after the thing rather than understand what it's really about. It is a measure of perceived value. Mm -hmm. So rather than chase money, which is what most people spend their life doing, which is why they don't have enough of it, Instead, if you focus on spending your life chasing, how do I add value, you'll look over your shoulder and money will start showing up. Mm-hmm. It's like sitting in front of a, you know, a cold fire in winter and saying, hey, listen, let me, let me do a deal. Give me some heat. I'll go fetch you some wood. That doesn't work. You know, you're, you know, you're in pretty good shape. We train. You know, we don't walk into the gym and say, let me do a deal. Give me the strength, then I'll lift the weights. That doesn't work. No, we know you have to put the work in first. If somebody comes to me, uh, what's coaching? Let's say on on, uh, high-performance athlete, MMA, tennis, whatever. I'd say, so listen, I want to win more. And I'll go, well, if that's your outcome, then it's the wrong outcome. What do you mean? Because I want to be a champion. I said, well, that's great. However, first concentrate, let's use tennis as an example, on increasing reflexes, hand-eye coordination, backhand, movement. And you look over your shoulder in a few weeks and think, wow, I'm winning more because winning is a byproduct or a consequence of taking those actions. Mm-hmm. If you want to lose weight, I'll say, look, forget losing weight. First, find a diet or exercise program that you can enjoy that resonates with you on a long-term basis that you know, shifts your relationship to food. And you'll look over your shoulder one day when you're on the scales and think, oh, wow, look at all that weight I've lost. Because it's a byproduct or a consequence. And then people turn and say, oh, I want to be rich. Give me a break. No. First, concentrate on becoming a person of value, and you'll look over your shoulder one day and think, wow, where did that money come from? Because that's what it is. But if you're chasing money, you're chasing your tail. And that's one of the biggest challenges that most people have because you know, it's, you know, we, we conceptualize it into something that it isn't. Right? And then we make that the goal rather than that understanding what it is, which is the consequence of adding value. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I've got a question for you around this because as entrepreneurs, we, we own, we, we build businesses, right? And we know this. So we just, we, 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 you know, we know a problem, we solve it for people as best we can and it becomes valuable to them. They want their problem solved. Now I had a, I had a conversation with someone about this once and I said, look, focus on providing value uh, and the money will come as a byproduct. And then some people heard that conversation and said, well, we are in the investing game. We're in the real estate game. We, we don't, we, we, we just want to make money. We want to make money, obviously. So then we could have, uh, do the things we want in life. But for them, it wasn't about like, I mean, you are adding value to a degree, but ultimately they were just looking for good investment properties. They, there was, there was no emotion really. It was like, and so, the question is this, is that if people want to, to, to make more money and they're not an entrepreneur, does what you just said, is it still relevant? Outer world follows inner world. 
your attitude towards what it is that you're doing will determine the level of fulfillment and success that you have. Yeah, if you all want to get into real estate, what is your focus? I want to make money. Well, that's an egocentric position, which uh, life will probably validate you know, your uh, inability to understand by giving you the wrong deals at the wrong time or something will go wrong. Or you're constantly trying to fight and it'll be a constant struggle. Uh, whereas if you say, listen, I, I want to get into real estate. I want to find properties that are going to make people, that people are going to want to live there and have an incredible time as, to grow up a family. I'm looking for you know, current owners who I can give them an incredible deal that will free them from their current financial liabilities. You know, whatever, you've got a different aspect. It's, it's a, a plus aspect. It's a give aspect, not a take aspect. Now, as a result of that, you'll find better properties. You'll look in, you, know, you come across the right opportunities. You've got a far better chance of life lining up with you. But if it's all about me, 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 what can I get? Then that, that's just back on the emotional immaturity game. Again, there's many vehicles that you can use, whether it's real estate or investing or what have you. But it's still understanding the, the fundamental principles that you know, how do I add value? Because that property has to add value to somebody. And you know, real estate is a great, you know, it, it's a, a very interesting way of looking at the, the financial game because it's, it shows you money is it's fairly magical in its way. You, know, you build a, a property, the property next to it becomes more valuable. Yeah, again, it's, it's non-conceptual. You can't put that in a jar as such. It's intangible because it's perceived value. And everybody knows what a house is worth. What somebody's prepared to pay for it. <laughs> you know, that's that's the market, which is probably a little lower right now. Right? So you know, when we come to really looking at, okay, what is my role as the star of my movie and my responsibility is to essentially become the best version of myself that I can be. How do I do that? Because the game that I see other people play, and entrepreneurs, you know, I was part of a worldwide organization called EO for many years, yeah, entrepreneurs organization. Uh, you have to be doing a million dollars a year to just join that thing. And yeah, I was a member for over 10 years, great people, but your typical burnt out, high level, stressed out, borderline depressed, playing a game that kind of looks like this. See, see if you know anyone that fits this, this paradigm, right? It's like, I'm gonna spend the vast majority of my you know, healthy adult life, yeah, working my ass off, essentially negating my health, ruining my relationships, not watching my kids grow up, so that hopefully I can get to a place one day where I've made enough money to pay for my divorce, to get hire a decent personal trainer to get my health back, and buy my kids loads of stuff so they love me again. Uh, I mean, you get to the top of what you think success mountain is there, you're gonna wanna jump off. And that's what I said, there's a massive difference between a life-chasing success and a life-chasing fulfillment. And when you start giving up the need for significance as a primary driver, right, fueled by insecurities of needing validation, external approval, all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. If you start giving up the, 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 the need for extreme certainty, which does not exist, as most people have found out because they've had their certainty blanket pulled as of you know, 2020. Yeah. And you start shifting into your primary drivers being growth and contribution and start aligning with nature you have a completely different experience of life. And that's when it shifts. And yeah, I've had several opportunities to test this at the highest level. And I, because you know, people say, well, yeah, it sounds great in theory, but let me tell you my story. Now, well, I'll, I'll tell you the story of everybody's story. <laughs> you know, everybody's got a story. In fact, you know, for those that get off on trying to share their story, you've heard the phrase that misery loves company. Right? Well, I, I kind of disagree. I, I think misery loves miserable company. Right? So if you're currently using your current situation as a way to get connection or empathy, sympathy, whatever it is, I've got news for you. Just like the, the goop and the movie metaphor. 80% of people, John, don't care about your problems. The other 20% are glad you have them. Right? Welcome to life. Right? So when we can get off that game, we start opening up to being able to utilize these kind of insights to go live life on your terms. And you never know what's around the next bend of the river of life. That's part of the magical mystery talk. That's part of the growth. If your personal trainer yeah, is keeping you know, what's going to be in the next workout close to their chest, your job is to just show up and lift the weights. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we all face that level of uncertainty. Everybody's got a story. But I'll, I want to make this real and not hypothetical. So I'll, I'll share a quick um, 
backstory with you so you can see how this shows up in real life. And it ties into the book I'd love to share with people because they'll understand context for it. Mm -hmm. So a few years ago, uh, I'm living in Dubai. Uh, I've got a beautiful place on the Palm. You know, I'm driving a McLaren. Life's good. I've got a huge business that I, I've invested millions of dollars into to try to create a new energy uh, source for the Earth by building a large orbiting power station for solar that wirelessly transmits to radio frequency back down to Earth. It was a massive project. Uh, I was involved with NASA, Boeing, Raytheon, all the big names for years, trying to put this thing off the ground. It was a little too far ahead of its time. On the side, to generate extra money for myself and the investors, uh, I was buying and selling IT equipment. And I bought $12.5 million of the goods, paid for it in full, resold at a small margin. Seven years later, I'm back living in England. The business wasn't commercially viable, handed it over to the United Nations, and I get a knock at the door seven o'clock in the morning, just getting ready to go to the gym. Team of expensive lawyers from the most ruthless law firm in town, backed by the multi-billion dollar company that I bought that IT stuff from, suing me for 17 million. I'm like, oh, wasn't expecting that this morning. 17 like, million? 17 and a half million, actually, but yeah, 17 and a half million dollars. Dollars, US. Okay. Yep. yeah. I'm like, what? They're like, well, we didn't tell you that you could resell the equipment, so therefore we're suing you for the price difference between the wholesale and retail price. I'm like, you guys are on drugs. I'm like, you never gave me a contract saying I couldn't. You knew I was reselling it. Pfft, forget it, not, not gonna happen. They said, look, we don't probably want to go to court. Give us a quick hundred grand. We'll make it all go away. I'm like, oh, I get it. You want to bully me into a financial settlement that's like minuscule to give, take half the profit I kind of made on the deal, right? That's not happening. Right? No, no court in the right mind is going to entertain that for five minutes. Six months later, because I wasn't playing ball, they threw a contempt of court application at me. This is a civil action, right? Threw a contempt of court application at me saying that I breached the freezing order. And I'm like, I haven't done that. And I looked at their argument. It was clever. It was intelligent. But I'm like totally out of context. I thought no judge in his right mind would entertain that for more than five minutes. So I went to court. I got 50 staff. We're doing six figures a month. Everything's going great. I'm, you know, we're running seminars. And I've just, I've got, guys, by the way, I've just got to pop into court next week and get rid of this BS. I never came back. They sold it to the judge. He gave me six months as a civil prisoner. Never been arrested. Never been accused of a crime. Still don't have a criminal record. I did six months in Britain's most violent prison and lost the business, lost everything saddled with hundreds of thousands in legal debt. And I remember when it looked as if it was going south. And my fiance at the time turned around and says, wow, what, why is this happening? I'm like, well, honey, I don't know, but here's what I do know. That yeah, I've been very blessed over the last 20 plus years to have helped millions of people around the world with the work that I do. You know, and part of that was very grateful. I worked with Tony Robbins for 15 years as one of his experienced trainers, you know, traveling around for a decade and a half, working on human behavior and intervention, et cetera. And I said, but maybe the people that I could help the most never really get to see that kind of work because they're in somewhere like prison. Now, if the universe or whatever you want to call it wants to send me in to go help people, let me go do my work. Honey, let me go do my work. And we were due to get married three months later in Portofino in Italy, right? And yeah. I, I never went in with the identity of a prisoner. I went in with the identity of a secret agent of change. Yeah, because why? I'm in the gym. This is what I'm trained for. I can never predict the future. That takes the excitement out of the game. I'm in a growth-centric experience, and this is what I call a graduation event. And we've all had them. And I'm very lucky that I got to go to prison for six months rather than somebody else's graduation event, which may be having a loved one die in their arms or a stage four diagnosis or whatever it may be. Anyway, long story short, I actually went in and I remember sitting with a prison doctor uh, before they gave me a cell. And after a few minutes, he says, uh, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, are you undercover? And I smiled. I said, well, why do you ask? He says, in 20 years as a prison doctor, I've never seen anybody so happy on their first ever day in prison. <laughs> right? And yeah. uh, anyway, long story short, I ended up getting a lot of the prisoners off drugs. Uh, I was stopping suicides. I reduced the violence between the wings. I, I created a, a different intake system, which is now being rolled out across the US and Australia, by the way. I was speaking with the head of corrections for New South Wales recently uh, to take on a lot of the stuff that I was doing. I won a national award for the work that I was doing in there and yeah, shifted the lives of, yeah, to this day, thousands of prisoners every month. And yeah, every two weeks, I wrote to my senior coaching clients. 
So I was halfway through a big coaching program, six month coaching program. I was on month three and you know, the teacher went away. Uh, so I said, listen, just because I'm not in class doesn't mean to say that you guys get to skip school. So every two weeks I wrote private letters to my senior students explaining what was going on. What was kind of part journal, part tradecraft, yeah, intervention strategies, what I was doing, how I was trying to take on the system, how I was breaking stuff down, how I was dealing with the violence. I mean, three deaths in one week was the worst week I was there, by the way. This is, this is not a holiday camp. And when I came out after six months, my students said they'd learned more from those 11 letters than following me around the world for the last two years on stage and that I had to publish them. I'm like, well, these are private letters that some of these guys are paying me like 50 grand a year to learn. And you know, this is high level stuff uh, in personal growth. Chapter seven, I break, you know, I've got, I break down a, an intervention I did. I had 10 minutes to stop somebody committing suicide permanently. Because you can change any, yeah, you, you yeah. can change anyone in the moment, right? It's like, yeah, if it, you can make anybody change their state while you're with them. If your enthusiasm's higher and you've got rapport, you're going to affect. But when they go back to their cell and think the same thoughts, what's going to show up? So how do you shift that permanently in 10 minutes? I break down the strategy. You know, on the fourth letter, I'm walking through the wing and I see two guys, three guys having a conversation about religion that's about to kick off. And you can tell. And there's usually a weapon involved when it does. How do you invite yourself into that conversation, maintain the illusion of significance for the people that are there and recontextualize it so that everybody becomes friends and they walk, you walk off and everybody's happy? Yeah, how do you, there's a strategy to do that. So, and I'm breaking this down for them. Anyway, we, we, we published the, uh, the book. It's called The Inside Track. And I think it went bestseller in two hours. Amazon number one in four hours. I think it sold out three suppliers on the first day. And I'm very blessed and humbled to say, John, that if you look at any review on Amazon, yeah, .au.com.co.uk, Audible, Goodreads, it's changed the lives of virtually everybody that's read the book. And I'm so blessed and grateful for that, mm -hmm. which is why I can sit here and say, going through that experience, was probably one of the most incredible and awe-inspiring adventures I ever had the privilege of living. And I wrote, I remember my first letter saying, hey guys, don't worry about me. I'm on location for six months filming the prison scene in my movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's gonna show up, but let me take you along for the ride because I just know I live in a friendly universe. And so therefore, yeah, let's roll the dice and see what happens. And that's, yeah, it was, uh, it was an uh, amazing adventure. That is, if, fuck, for all the people listening, they're probably, their jaws have hit the ground. I've heard this. I've heard you speak before and I've heard this, but even to hear it a second time, it's still, it's not real. Like, did it ever feel to you like it was surreal or was it, were you always very present? In, yeah, where do you live? Where do you visit? You know, that, that's, that's a key question for people to ask. You know, I'm, I'm, Mindful that the, the quality of your life is usually correlated to the quality of the questions you ask yourself. Now, questions are the steering wheel of the mind. And so, yeah, where, where do you live? Where do you visit? Yeah, take a physical example. If you live in the gym, you can visit McDonald's once in a while. It's not going to change anything. If you live in McDonald's, you can visit the gym once in a while. It's not going to change anything. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm predominantly, a, a, yeah, I've been in personal growth 30 years. If I can't go in and walk my talk, then I need lessons. Yeah, but does that mean that there were certain times I didn't doubt? There were times I wasn't yeah, depressed. Times I, on the third letter, I was very raw and honest and, and vulnerable about the times that I cried, the times that I doubted myself, the times that I didn't know if I was going to be making a difference, the time where you know, you're lying there at one o'clock in the morning, you can hear the prisoners screaming and banging on the walls and shouting and spitting at the guards. And, and it's, it's literally a, a, yeah, another day in the people's zoo. But yeah, questioning, am I, yeah, what's going to happen from here? But where do you live? Where do you visit? Yeah, it's easy to snap out of that when you have the conditioning to do it and the tools and the strategy. In the very first letter, yeah, I break down what are, the, what are the psychological components that went into me being able to walk into prison smiling essentially, end up changing the entire system, winning awards, changing lives, and coming out and, and having an incredible time being able to rebuild everything back up and get back even better than where I was. So yeah, that, that's not chance. That doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice through strategy. Mm -hmm. And that's what I break down page by page because I say it's part, you couldn't make it up, but it's real. But the vast majority of the, uh, the, the book is all about you know, the how to, because it's not enough these days to, to know the want to, <laughs> you've got to have the how to, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating.
Yeah, and I mean, there are going to be people listening to this now, listening to it live, listening to recording, and they will be fascinated. And so just if you are listening to this now, um, I've ordered my copy, and there there is a link above or below the video, which is it's, um, getpeaksbook.com. And what Pete's doing, he's giving his book away for free, but you just got to pay for shipping. So it will get shipped to you. Um, so yeah, yeah, thank you so much for, for the book, uh, Pete, and for spending the last hour with us. Now, to, to wrap this up, I, I normally ask people, I want kind of like three or five bits of wisdom, but you've just given us three solid, like these three steps of wisdom. So I want to wrap this up differently. Um, I want to wrap this up by saying if someone had to take some action steps now to move away, coming back to the title of this talk, move away from toxic people in their lives and toxic environments, what would just be some action steps that they could, they could physically do today to start removing that toxicity? The first thing is to stop validating yourself by the people you're with because you, will, you become who you hang with. Right, you hang around with nine recreational drug users, I've got news for you, you're likely going to become the 10th. You hang around with nine people that are coming at life from high possibility thinking that is to looking at life through how we can, not why we can't, you're likely going to become the 10th. It's the law of conformity. We don't get to sidestep it, we just get to adapt to it. So you become who you hang. So first thing, stop trying to validate yourself through the people you're with and start choosing who you want to be with. Now for some people, it's hard. I get it. You, know, you may be in a toxic relationship. There may be kids involved. Well, that's why courage is the starting point. That's why you, know, you speak to anybody that's come out the other side of that and say, like, why didn't I do it sooner? It may look scary, but unfortunately, most people will settle for certainty and be unhappy than risk uncertainty and go for fulfillment. So you have to have an honest conversation with yourself. Most people that are in toxic environments and toxic relationships are kept there from the other people who try to convince them that they're not good enough to go find somebody that's better. And when you recognize the pattern, you realize it's not about you, it's just about them. Just what I said earlier, it's a projection out of their own deal. If you really want to be the star of your movie, start trading up on your supporting cast and the extras you hang around with. Right? Nobody but nobody has the right to tell you, you can't do it. So write an inventory of people that you may just have to cut out of your life. Now for some people, it has to be a hard cut. For some people, you just hang out with them less and, and move on. But yeah, there's an elegance. In fact, on my website, I've got a, a free five-day challenge I put people through on how to upgrade your peer group. Uh, and that's it's content that I just want to give out because the law of conformity is so powerful and people get sucked into it like boiling a frog. You don't realize until it's too late a lot of the time that the person you're with wasn't the person you thought they were. Or the people you were at work with, yeah, you can't stand, but you're there because of an addiction to certainty called a paycheck. Now, the second you reclaim your power back, the second you stand in front of the mirror and say, you know something, I am good enough. I got this. And you write down what I call an inventory of awesomeness. Go ask one of your best friends who doesn't judge you yeah, to help you put together or sit down if you, you know, present of mind to do and write down, what are the things that are great about me? And if you can't find a big list, you keep thinking because there is something. And the only thing that's stopping that list from growing is the beliefs around other people that have put on you that you've taken on as limitation. So you know, one of the first things is upgrade your peer group. Case closed. And don't think that you'll never find somebody better. Again, the quality of the questions you ask yourself, right? If you have walk out of a relationship or somebody leaves you in a relationship, you, know, you can say, oh my God, why am I not good enough? Or you can turn and say, well, thank God they went so they made room for somebody who's right. Same relationship issue, same person leaving, completely different life to that scenario 12 months down the line, depending on which path you choose. So that, that'd be my first recommendation is do an inventory of your own awesomeness and an inventory of the toxicity of the people you need to have a hard cut. You don't have to be arrogant about it. Yeah, just yeah, Don't make the mistake I made when I was 17 when I, I learned about this. And I walked into the bar where I was playing pool with my friends every yeah, night and said, you guys, I've learned about this thing called the law of conformity. You all suck. You're going nowhere. I'm on a better path. See you later. Not the way to do it. And I walked into the top bar in uh, my local town at the time. It was in the Grand Hotel. It's called Simon's Bar. I couldn't afford the drinks. I was ordering a soda, and a, a, a soda water with a slice of lime, pretending it was a gin and tonic. Nobody wanted to talk to me. I had to park my crappy little jalopy around the corner so nobody would laugh when I got out. 
and three weeks later I went back to my bar with my tail between my legs and yeah, begged for forgiveness. So there's elegant and elegant ways of being able to do that. It's not about from ego, I'm better than you. Again, 10-year-old or 15-year-old. Just for some people, it's time to move on. You know, sometimes you live in a house for a certain amount of time. There's nothing wrong with a house, but it's time to move house. Yeah, so just honor the people where they're at and send them love, trade up. And before we wrap it, trading up, to go from not being someone's friend and having a connection with them and, and you look up to them, maybe they're a role model, how would you start to get into that world? Again, outer world follows inner world. So you start appreciating and coming from gratitude, not judgment. And you will start attracting people that you can be grateful for. Uh, you start judging somebody and go back to my quote, uh, complaining about your current circumstances or people in your life yeah, is the glue that keeps you tied to them. So yeah, send them love, but start holding a space for what it is that you want rather than what it is that you don't want. Yep. In fact, I share a very quick metaphor that's very powerful for people. It's the art gallery metaphor. So if you walk into a, an art gallery, you're a guest. Right? And I, you know, we're all guests on this movie set that we're starring in. You know, we didn't build the set. You know, we're starring in it as a guest, as a star. But if you walk into an art gallery and you look at the artwork on the wall, say it's Picasso, and you find it offensive. You thought, yeah, the guy was clearly off his rocker, yeah, this modern art stuff. And you say, right, where's the curator? Go get the curator. I demand that you take and remove this offensive artwork. Now, in that scenario, the only thing that's going to get removed is you by security, right? Because you've got no right to change anything in there. However, you have every right to choose to walk into a different room, maybe Van Gogh. And so most people are looking at the artwork on the wall of their art gallery, and they don't like it. They don't like their bank balance. They don't like their partner, their boss, their spouse, their situation, their whatever it is. Rather than complain about it, which is going to get you kicked out of the gallery, you're free to go choose to walk into a different room and start creating new artwork. And having that level of energy around it will free you very much from the people that you're currently toxic with without that stickiness that'll keep you, you know, tied. Yep. And then work on yourself so that you, you can provide value to the people that you enjoy. I guess like, like you're further ahead than me, right? And you know, the 10 to 15 year old, you're further ahead than me. And I was like, how do I, how do I get Peter on this podcast? And I'm like, well, maybe if I can bring him in and he's got this book that, that can help people change lives and, and we can let the audience know about it, maybe Peter. So it, it, it's me also being able to provide value for the other person. And then there's a natural connection. It's not something that's forced. And, and that's one example. I mean, I'll be completely honest. You have uh, an incredible following. Yeah, your, your, your fans love you because you're all about trying to add value to them. What I'm looking for is a platform to be able to share some of my message to add value. We didn't need a book to do this. Yeah, I, I would have been grateful to be able to step up. And if there's only one person that sees this, or if I'm, I'm not on Facebook, if there's only one person live, if there's only one person that watches the recording, then I'm going to show up at 110% regardless because I'm here to basically serve. And if I'm grateful enough for you to be able to give me a platform to do that, then yeah, why wouldn't I get up at silly o'clock and go do it? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's why we're here. Just so the people listening, watching know, it's, it's probably 2 a.m. now where you are? Two, yeah, yeah, somewhere on there. <laughs> yeah, my, my dogs are fast asleep. <laughs> yes, they're so cute. And yeah, so for those people watching, for those people listening, really everything that Peter has said has been absolutely incredible. And, and you know, this, this last bit with, with toxicity in the environment, it is about um, weighing in on how good you actually are, writing that list and moving on. And, and by working on yourself, you know, the inside world creates the outside world, as you say, Peter you can naturally then be, be of value to other people, the people that you know you look up to, and naturally you're going to come together and you're going to start to draw in the people that serve your life in a much more powerful way. 100%. And while that's happening, while you know, the outer world's rearranging itself to you know, be in your favor, and again, outer world follows inner world. I'm Go back to Einstein's question. I'm a great believer that, that you know, I, I run from a model of being an inverse paranoid. I'm convinced that the entire universe is involved in a hidden secret conspiracy to make me happy and successful. Now, that, that's my default MO. But while you are working on yourself you're, and you're still surrounded in the outer world because it plays catch up. You know, there's a delay in the outer world. That's why most people are, are sucked into trying to control the outer world because they're under the illusion that immediate impact will be uh, uh, more beneficial, but it's not. Uh, so 
you can walk amongst them and not be affected by them, providing that you recognize your own value. Yes. And coming from that place of non-judgment, like me, walking in 1,300 of the most violent and demanding criminals in the UK system, spending six months living with them day in, day out, not once did I feel threatened. Not once was I afraid of violence. And again, I break down the psychological components for that in the book as to how to be able to do that. Because again, it's not because I'm brave or smart, far from it. That's because I was using strategies I'd spent a lifetime being able to hone. And so, yeah, but it allows you to do that. Imagine being able to walk into a room where everybody's freaking out uh, because of the current global situation, chaos or whatever's going on. And you calmly look around and say, move, I'll handle it. To be able to have that level of certainty in the face of uncertainty will separate you and you'll start gravitating to people, opportunities and things that will find you because that's the level you're playing the game at now. I think you've nailed it, Peter. I think we've we've given everybody some incredible, um, just your stories are just so powerful. I know they're going to seep into people's nervous systems and, and create transformation in them. So I want to thank you for coming and sharing live, live interview, but also on, on the Amplify podcast. And um, if anybody listening, watching has got any questions for myself, for Peter, please comment connect with peter anywhere social media we're going to give his um his social media stuff soon like ask comments he, he is here to serve he is here to help i'm the same so peter whereabouts can people find you uh easiest ways on my website petersage.com uh i've got a ton of resources there you can connect on social anywhere i'm, I'm kind of uh, whatever channels i can do to add value yeah your typical facebook youtube insta yeah linkedin that kind of stuff but yes, uh, my website has uh, a ton of resources to offer people for just about every, every level they're at, because that's why we're here. That's why you do what you do, John. That's why I do what I do. And I'm sure it's why a lot of the people that are listening and tuning in do what they do. So you know, when, when you start coming from growth and contribution as your primary MO, magic shows up. And I'm, I'm privileged and humbled to be a part of it on this particular deal with you. Thank you, my friend. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for tuning in, everyone.